I'm Baratunde Thurston, and this is Spit, an iHeartRadio podcast with 23andMe. This is the podcast that explores how DNA is changing our lives and the world around us. In this latest episode of Spit, we sit down with brothers Darren and Chuck Chris of the band Computer Games and A.J. Jacobs, journalist and author of It's All Relative, to discuss how we are all family, like it or not. We talk about how each is attempting to create a more connected world, the Chris brothers through their music, and Jacobs through research and science on his quest to unite the entire human race in one all-encompassing family tree. The way that I define family is, you know, we are surrounded with people in our lives that we consider cousins and, and close, close loved ones that are closer to us than blood family. The Judge Judy effect. I always hated her. I found her just incredibly abrasive. Then I found out through DNA in this tree, I'm her, like, sixth cousin. And it, it actually, weirdly enough, irrationally, I know, it made me switch my yeah. perspective. I'm like, oh, Judge Judy, Cousin Judy, she's not so bad. AJ, Chuck, Darren, welcome. Yo, that was, so, that was so regal the way you read that. <laughs> Your voice is kind of a, a nice baritone. Yeah. Thank you. Baritone, Thank you. baritone day. So we're going to talk with AJ first. Uh, AJ, first of all, it's good to see you again. Great to see you. Uh, after, what is it, seven best-selling books you have out there, something like that? Not quite, but I'll take it. Okay. Let's, why, uh, we don't, the fact checkers can figure it That's out. That's right. Multiple, like multiple, best, multiple best-selling you, books. And you have engaged on this quest to, to help build a world family tree. Right. Can you break down the concept of a world family tree? Yeah, this is an amazing phenomenon I stumbled on a few years ago. And it is the biggest family tree ever. And it's not really, tree is not the right word. It's a forest because we're not, it's not hundreds or thousands. It is millions of people. Wait, how many millions? Right now it's at 125 million. Like, while I said that, they probably added, like, three or four. Okay. Yeah, it is dozens of countries, all ethnicity, you know, vegetarians, meat eaters, you name it, all in one family tree. And the goal is that in a few years, we are actually going to be able to unite everyone on planet Earth. So, seven billion cousins. So, this is the cousin pod. We're all cousins. Oh, yeah. I like, you know, I call everyone cousin. That's right. How many relatives do you have? Well, it depends how you define it. You know, I have 7 billion cousins. Right. The book actually started because I got this email out of the blue from this guy and he said, you don't know me, but I'm your 12th cousin. And I thought, of course, you know, he's going to say, please wire $10,000 to my Nigerian bank Give me something. Yeah. Yeah. But it turned out he was legitimate. He's one of these researchers and scientists building this family tree. So I have... About 125 million cousins yeah. all around the world, and it is a wild feeling. And it's everybody. You know, when I stumbled onto this, yeah. I just spent a week figuring out how I'm related to everyone on Earth. Like, you know, all my favorite celebrity, like David Bowie, Darren and Chuck, of course, how I'm related to them. What do you, uh, Have you proven that you're related to them yet? I actually looked you up. I'm still working on you guys, but I have hundreds of others. Like, What, what about me? You are not on it. I don't know what's up with that. Oh, boy. You are, we got to get you in. <laughs> For instance, Barack Obama, uh-huh. he is my fifth great aunt's husband's brother's wife's seventh great nephew. That Just is make the actual. That up. It sounds no, that's real. That is like a riddle. Verified. Yeah. <laughs> that is, you know, we're very close. We're very yeah. close. We're yeah. Trying, yeah, yeah. It's not all good news because you also are related to all, you know, I'm also cousins with Jeffrey Dahmer. 
Right. Listen, but that's through my wife's side. I want to keep that. <laughs> Still wow. 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 Throwing <laughs> the life partner <laughs> under Jeez. the genetic bus. That <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Be careful with her. Yeah. yeah. So Chuck and Darren, can you share some of what you know about your family history? I mean, AJ's taken us through the widest possible definition of family. You all are definitely brothers. You grew up together. Where did that happen? And what are some of the things you heard and learned about your family? As far as we know, we're brothers. Yeah. Okay. We're it's pretty all... sure. <laughs> it's pretty divisive. When we were kids, people thought we were twins. Then as we got older, people were like, you, they can't believe we're they... related. But as you get older and you start experiencing other people's idea of family and how you identify that, you realize that everyone really has a different sense of what that is. And our mom was the youngest of seven Okay. from the Philippines. And so a lot of our cousins and extended family, we didn't really know growing up because they were just on the other side of the world. And, you know, we didn't grow up in the age of social media and everything. So it wasn't until later in life we kind of connected with them. But because, you know, she was so young, our cousins were much older. And we were kind of on our own little secluded, like, island. Yeah, um, and we didn't really know our grandparents. I think they were just a little too past by the time we came into the picture. Yeah. So they're, they're kind of these mythical kind of yeah, we, our, creatures. Our, our grandfather was our only, like, blood grand, like grandparent that we had. But by the time we entered the world and we met him, you know, he was unfortunately really deep in Alzheimer's so we didn't really get it we never really I never grew up with the grandparents experience which is to say that like our nuclear family between myself Chuck my, like mom and dad like that's our family it makes Christmas very easy um however I'm, I'm getting married in, in a little bit and congratulations I, I'm marrying uh uh a Jewish girl from Long Island <laughs> so there there's a lot of family yeah a lot of cousins <laughs> A lot um, of family, you're yeah. merging with a larger family yeah which tree. is huge and yeah. sort of her definition of like what family is and who is part of their life? There are so many cousins. Like it's, I, I joke. It's like that episode of Friends where Joey has like the like eight or nine identical sisters, and like they can't tell them apart. Yeah. It's there's a lot of for the first many years we were together. I, I honestly could not tell these cousins apart, but because it was just there's a whole different family tradition. They the the sort of history. Uh, the AJ, you'd probably be able to speak more to, but, uh, you know, a lot of nomadic Sephardic Jews that are coming from certain parts of the world that immigrated to this place and that place. Yeah. And so many cousins and the families are big. And her grandmother was like the youngest of 12 or something crazy like that. So it's just massive, 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 which is completely juxtaposed to Chuck and I's experience, which is very small and contained. And then yeah. on our father's side, it was quite small, you know, same thing. Yeah, it's um, it was just dad and his sister. Yeah. Like our grandparents are kind of these... Because we never knew him, everything kind of gets a little more epic like larger scale. than life. So, you, what, what are some about, of these? When you hear about, like, oh, like our grandfather on our mom's side was like a sea captain. Yeah, he was a pilot. And when when you're a kid, you think you're like you think of like a pirate. Like, yeah, he was a straight discovering up, like, like new islands. Yeah, and yeah. he was probably just like driving a ship. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's a ship up, driver. Like, he's a yeah. ship driver. Yeah. Like, but you're like yeah. oh, a sea captain. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, like, and he's married men. Do you feel like you uh, have gotten? You are good sailors. You're good. Uh, you're. I don't you know. know. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty no. terrible sailor. Well, yeah, yeah, we're we get I've, pretty like motion sick. It's I've definitely thrown up the side of a of moving vessel. Before. So vibe, maybe not because of the ocean per se, but <laughs> maybe because of the liquids. In, <laughs> so, in, some, yeah, inside a, of a you? nice combination of the two <laughs> things. Um, but, uh, um, and our grandfather on our dad's side worked for general motors. He was it's like a very a American salesman yeah. in Detroit. I and, think our, our, our entire family is like the merging of the two worlds between like sort of upper middle class working, you know, he was a car, like he was a successful car salesman, okay. Cadillac dealership, like in and out of Detroit. Like he, literally your father's Cadillac. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's it's totally that sort of cliche. That was our grandfather. He was in, you know, when Detroit was kind of at the automotive epicenter of the, the nation. 
he was kind of in that zeitgeist. Then he moved to Rhode Island, I think, or it's, uh, you can even hear in my voice the uncertainty. There is a certain amount of like mystery and stuff that I haven't like pinned down that Chuck and I are always like, oh, we got to, we got to sort this stuff out. But we'll be and out then, to dinner with, with some friend of ours. And then, you know, as a sidebar, my dad will be talking to a friend of ours being like, well, you know, back in blah, blah, that's when I what? But Chuck and I are like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> you lived where? When? Like, yeah, that was ages yeah. ago. This was yeah. ages ago. This was yeah. before, you know, you before, guys. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the way they have kind of defined family for us was sort of just like our crew, which is to no disrespect, no disinterest in what came before. But that was just kind of the realm we grew up in. And so, you know, same with our mom, who I grew up in a time in, in the Philippines where there was a real idolization of, of Western culture and the United mm-hmm. States. And um, I was saying earlier how I think the way we've come into the world is a, is a distinctly American tale of, you know, a young woman who really like persevered to come to this country and, you know, had her fair share of trials and tribulations. I mean, this is the mid late seventies. She's a young woman. She's an immigrant. A lot of cards are stacked against her yeah. and she got a job you know, working is like whatever low level entryway where our dad worked and their affair in the office. Definitely like, made it spicy. Lazy shopping is what my wife and I, because we, we met at work too. Oh. And by the way, I will say, you mentioned that you're getting married. You might want to have your fiance take one of the DNA tests because when I took 23andMe, they send you a list of hundreds of cousins. And I, uh, I was going through it. I didn't recognize many names. And then I got to one name. And it was Julie Jacobs, my wife. So my wife is, is my about my sixth cousin. And I was, Six is a good distance. Yeah. So for the brothers, it sounds like your parents chose to kind of restart the family tree. Kind in of. In some sense. You know, you know like with your mother being one of seven, but you weren't connected to the other six in terms of your own childhood experiences. We had cousins in Seattle yeah. and, and parts of Los Angeles. But I think this, it's more to do with her mom. She really, she just really loved this. She, she gave us and our, our dad, like all the attention, it was just uh, about the four of us. There is a distance between the Philippines and San Francisco, which kind of made our family background like this mysterious thing. I only yeah. recently got really into it. You know, last time Chuck and I, we, we went to see mom and dad and uh, we went through a bunch of old documents and papers and stuff from our grandfather's past. And it kind of opened up that box of mom's past. And I think just out of simplicity, when people ask our background, just for shorthand, we say Filipino-Irish because it's, it's just easier. We say our dad's Irish, which he is, but it's probably like a pretty diverse Anglo-mutt of like Dutch, like who, who knows what's in there. That's There's a lot of wars in that background. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of white people killing each other and like making things weird and different and who knows what brought him and his family across the ocean. But with mom, we say Filipino, but the Philippines have had such a crazy, there's so much Spanish blood there. It's that, technically and Japanese. Spanish, Japanese Chinese. and Chinese, a lot yeah. of Chinese. So like our grandmother was, I think, half Chinese. So there, like mm. there's a lot of Chinese. We'll find out stuff. soon enough. Yeah, <laughs> that's but, right. that's what, but that's what mom see. said. She was yeah. like, you know, you're Chinese. I was like, what? You never brought this up? She's like, oh, I just never thought I needed to. It's like, I thought you knew that. Yeah. It's like, it's like I'm from the Philippines. That was going to come good up enough. at some point. Yeah. yeah. How do you negotiate the World Cup in this family? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I'm, I'm an idiot about soccer. I just went, when it comes down to the championship games, I just pick a side, and then whichever one's you okay. know, has yeah. the rowdier bar. Do you have drinking a helps. Approach? Yeah, drinking yeah. helps. Yeah, we'll just we'll just we'll drink with with whoever's yeah whoever's the most mind. excited about their team. <laughs> yeah, and then AJ, you know your world family reunion, trying to get as many of these members of the global family tree together. 
was that as well like a United Nations, yeah, I was, imagine? That yeah. was the hope, that it would be like crazy diverse. And the idea came because I figured out I had all of these cousins, and I thought, why not throw a party? And I invited all 7 billion cousins. We did not get 100% turnout. And I did not get my invitation. <laughs> well, yeah. well you already acknowledged. You're not, not related. Sure. You're not related. You're, You're not, not part of my family. Oh, he's I just want to be a cuz, y'all. <laughs> but that was exactly it. And that's, I know, a big theme of your show and a big theme of my book is that this world family tree has all these political, racial, and identity impact and hopefully for the good when we can yeah. see concretely how closely we're related so yeah i hated the event because i was so stressed out for like you know is a drone gonna fall on someone's head but other people seemed to have a good time and it was the weirdest conglomeration of people you had uh, you know rabbis ministers what, priests. what was and- a least expected thing that happened at this gathering i mean i, I imagine you had objectives right and things that you assumed or hoped would happen but what surprised you well, then we got people from all over the world. I mean, it was in New York. So we had 4,000 people in New York and we had 40 simultaneous parties in New Zealand and, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, the Philippines might, I yeah. think they had one. And yeah, so the book is sort of about building up to this. We did have Sister Sledge get on and sing We Are Family. We are family. You can yes. sing it. You yeah. guys, yes. I, will, I will say this, just to be totally All honest. All my millions, cousins, and me. They changed oh, it. They nice. did change it. Look at this. <laughs> they changed wow. the lyrics. <laughs> it was not all of Sister Sledge. It was three of the four, 75%, because apparently they don't get along with one of their sisters, which is just heartbreaking. Well, to like me. a real family. Yeah. You know, like real family, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're keeping it real. We are a real family. Keeping it 75. Yeah. Exactly. We are family, except for that that one person who, <laughs> who annoys me. We don't sing about. <laughs> so yeah, it was a it was a crazy event, and the idea was just yeah. I mean, these guys would have been perfect because you've got like you know of the pie graph, you must have like fourteen slices, which is you know <laughs> yeah, your your cool. work family, the Glee family. Jenna Ushkowitz was there, mm-hmm. and I loved her because she is born in Korea but adopted by a. Uh, Catholic family who used to be Jewish, hence her name, Ushkowitz. Yeah. And then, Polish last name. And I think her half brother is of Puerto Rican descent. I mean, that, that brings up a whole other idea of, which is something that I really subscribe to. And I talked a lot about this a lot with, um, with this last role that I was doing because I played somebody that was infamously somebody that was known for something de- deplorable, right? And I kept reminding people You're that. Referring to your role. So it's this role on uh, Assassination Johnny Versace. Congratulations uh, on the Emmy. Thank you very much. Um, the idea that we are all more similar than not Mm -hmm. it's and so like you're you know what is it the whatever percentage that makes us different is 0.5 0.5 so while that's small in number it's large in content ideology a lot a lot of stuff that amounts to a whole lot so Mm -hmm. that's the same thing i always say about people regardless of actual genetic similarity like we all have day-to-day similarities it's just the genetic tissue what i'm getting around to is my sort of view of connectivity with people has a lot less to do with the genetics and the way that I define family is, you know, we're, we are surrounded with people in our lives that we can, we consider, you know, cousins and, and close, close loved ones that are closer to us than blood family. Mm, right. The reason why I'm bringing this up after you saying Jenna is that, you know, that's an excellent example of somebody who is not blood related to her parents, but like, she is. Right. Yeah. Well, I love you know? that. I mean, in the book, I talk about logical family and biological family. Yeah. And the logical family could be people you work with. And actually, Jenna produced a film 
Yeah. It's, oh my god. It's an awesome film. It's an amazing story. And it's yeah. about these two Korean women okay. who um, were born in Korea, but they were both adopted by Western families, one in Europe, one in the United States. They didn't know each, each other existed, but they had a mutual acquaintance on Facebook. And he was like, you guys look weirdly similar. Like same. And that wasn't racist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe. Or it well, might have been it initially. Have been but that was like, the joke that we had <laughs> yeah. because I, I was kind of witnessing this as a, like a third party. Yeah. Um, right. So one of the girls is an actress and she, you know, she, she had sort of presence right. uh, in like, like film and TV. Profile, and then yeah. so somebody who was seeing this, like. It wasn't just like a picture, like, oh, you guys look similar. It's like, you guys have the same, like, mm. mannerisms. Sort of mannerisms. Like, what the freckles, hell? This the is freckles. crazy. The freckles. Like, well, it, what, was, it was warranted. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. like, what the hell? But it relates to your point because they got together, they loved each other, and they tried to contact their biological mom. Okay. And she wanted nothing to do with them. But what I loved was what one of them said was that, She's okay because she feels she has like five other moms. She's got her adoptive mom, her twins' adoptive mom. She's an actress, so she has a, a manager who she calls a momager. Right. So I love the idea. Yeah, we don't have to consider DNA as the only way to define family. But it is a nice reminder, I guess, when, especially when you have nothing to do with somebody right. else. It's a polite, you know, sort of cosmic reminder. Well, and I think there is there is evidence that this has an effect. There's a study at Harvard about a year ago where they took Palestinians and Israelis okay. and they showed one group how closely they were related genetically mm -hmm. and the other they didn't. And the group they showed how closely they were actually treated with more kindness. They were more respectful, more open in negotiation. And I've seen it anecdotally, personally, I call it the Judge Judy effect. I chose Judge Judy because I always hated her. Like I found her just incredibly abrasive. Then I found out through DNA and this tree I'm her like sec sixth cousin, and it, it actually, weirdly enough, irrationally, I know it made me switch my yeah. perspective. I'm like, oh, Judge Judy, cousin Judy, she's not so bad. Well, she's, <laughs> a, she's a sweetheart. You're a much nicer cousin than I am. You're, you're pre. I'd have been like, damn it, predisposed to nepotism. We are learning from AJ Jacobs. Yeah, this is more like a an inside like look in your mind, <laughs> which are a lot of AJ's books, yeah. to be fair. Yeah. But he exposes us to ourselves as well, which is why you're here. Um, Chuck, does the idea of finding cousins that you didn't choose that may be genetically connected is that Interesting to you, threatening to you, totally exciting, or or something else. I think it's exciting. I'm a, I'm always happy to meet new people in the tree. You know, I didn't meet some of our cousins that we're closest to now because of like like a family feud or whatever. Um, until I was in our twenties, and now they're like our closest cousins. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that was like a um kind of an eye opening thing where you know you share this genetic link in a very a very real one. You don't get to meet each other until you're adults, and it's kind of crazy. But yeah, that was that was a really nice sort of uh, surprise. There were there was there's some cousins that we just didn't so know. If, at there, all. if there's more of those, I'm I'm yeah hell yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to it. They're you're ready happy. ready for very, more cousins. Oh yeah. ready. Yeah, yeah. and but it yeah. also helps that it wasn't that many. We didn't have that many. <laughs> but I mean, even now, um, you know, I have this like interesting family dynamic in my own personal life where I have two kids from a previous marriage, and then now I'm kind of. I have a new relationship, um, and she has kids too, and we, we're living together, and we, we're doing this Brady Bunch thing where we mm -hmm. have, like, you know, five kids between us, and we're we're about to have a baby of our own soon. Yeah, that's insane. Like just to take on all this new family, and it it really does become bigger than the gene pool 
because I I treat them like family. We took the oldest daughter to go see BTS BTS <laughs> at City Field. Yeah, this idea of having this extended family and you can kind of treat it as your own. Maybe because we're so connected, there's just yeah. this understanding. And I love that the idea of family has gotten so broad. And the family trees of the future are just going to be so wild and gnarled and yeah. mixed. And I love, like, you know, there's the um, sperm donors who have all of these kids that they they have a word for it. It's called diblings, donor siblings. They're half-brothers Dibling. and half-sisters. Yeah, wow. And they have we did, these... We did an episode oh, you on, did? touching on that. Yeah, yeah. And they, had, uh, they have Facebook pages and they get mm-hmm. together. They just legalized in England. They just had the first kid who has three legal parents because they took the egg and they took out a little bit of the DNA because it had disease. And they put in a third person's, a guy's DNA. So the baby has two dads and one mom. Imagine in the future, you know, yeah. you could have like, I was talking to one of my eight moms and she was telling me, you know, yeah. it's going to be wild. So biologically, we're having more flexible, expansive definitions of family with this almost engineered human you just described. And then certainly from a personal choice perspective, we have our chosen family, our logical family, right. as you put yeah. it. I'm obsessed with that ideological family. I think I'm much more on page with that yeah than biological but the, but the, the, combi- the combined effect of both is an expanded sense of who we're related to who we're connected to and maybe who we will forgive if we don't like their attitude because now we it turns out they're our cousins right so i'm <laughs> more forgiving of judge judy now because she's cousin judy yeah. i am at least yeah, yeah. i mean I, that's what i love it's sort of the idea is the more in your family the you know as my eighth cousin three times removed hillary clinton used to say it takes a village. Which so, she took from a common African proverb. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who are from also, other cousins. Who yeah, are yeah. my cousins. True. It's always are, a yeah. cousin. <laughs> uh, so, yes, uh, I, I love that idea. The, the bigger the family, the better. Yeah. I mean, you get a lot of flack. That's why you're seeing such pushback. I think many of us get attached to the division, right? It's how we decide resources, mm-hmm. who gets promoted, who we spend time with. And at a national level, like who gets land, <laughs> right? Who gets entry, And so if you are less able to draw that line and say that's an other, that's a monster, that's something to be dehumanized. Right. But that's a member of my family that messes with power. Yeah. And most people who have it don't want to give it up. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I I interviewed Henry Louis Gates for this and he talks about how there's no such thing as racial purity, but it goes beyond that. I mean, you take 23andMe and you see we have Neanderthal DNA because you're like 800th great grandpa had sex with a Neanderthal. <laughs> you got to open your heart to the Neanderthals. You're not even one species. You're a mix of species. No offense. I'm saying that with love. No. I'm sure Grandpa was a generous Neanderthal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A gentle, a thoughtful, community-minded, <laughs> civic, civically yeah. engaged. Always remember birthdays. <laughs> I want to get to some pros and cons and sort of Talk about a future in the age of genetic testing and everyone being able to know their genome. And we have this beautiful implication of genetic testing, which it's giving us this scientific evidence that we're all a mix, right? There is no genetic purity, as Dr. Gates said. And a lot of studies that you cited, AJ, show that we do increase our tolerance for each other when we realize, oh, you're more of a brethren, less of, a, of an enemy. Now, we're coming off of our Peace Day episode of this podcast, and we debated what it takes to make peace. And the resounding answer was that when we understand that we're 99.5% the same, 
focusing on that versus the 0.5 is going to help lead us to a more peaceful world. I want to ask, because of the work that you've done, AJ, with bringing people around the world together, do you believe the studies, right? Do you think that we can continue in this direction by knowing that connection more deeply and I suppose accepting it, that we will actually be more peaceful, Mm, that we will actually be more welcoming of each other? I love that episode, by the way. And I agree with the general idea. I am an optimist, techno-optimist, so I do think overall it will help And you're seeing that sometimes, you know, I've read stories that are almost like a J.J. Abrams screenplay of like a white nationalist taking these tests and finding out they're part Jewish or part African-American and (laughs) being like, you know what, maybe my worldview is not the best. Yeah. And they're making a change. Now, it's not perfect. It's not kumbaya because you get some white nationalists who take it and they either want to see how pure they are, quote, like what their percentage is. Mm, So it's like a like a. A, a, a contest, contest, like a yeah. scoring contest. Exactly. You can score the highest right. on the genetic test. Or they're in denial and say, oh, this is a multicultural conspiracy. So right. I'm hopeful. Which technically, I guess it is. Like many <laughs> cultures are involved in understanding the human genome. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> it's, a, it's the best kind of conspiracy. Yeah, a, a fact-based one. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I do think in the end it will prove to be a good thing. And, and you know, even I, I took one. I'm very jealous of you guys because you've got so much fun stuff going on. I am 97% Jewish, but about 3% Arab Egyptian. So I like that I have the Middle East conflict in my body like, <laughs> going on right now. You were saying you liked about yourself that you are this combination. Yeah. Like, that you can draw from many different um, histories. Yeah, I really do love it. As a kid, I really loved it. Also, growing up in the Bay Area was really cool because, I mean, you you, just, you don't know until you go out into the world, but it was a pretty mixed group of kids. You yeah. know, we it, the California is, is, you know, San Francisco itself is is, is a very uh, vibrant Latin community, very vibrant uh, Asian, particularly Chinese culture, and just kind of growing our, around other kids who had stories from so many different places and. I just I just thought that was so rad yeah. that like the whole world was kind of at my fingertips just as you know just by way of people having decided to have sex have kids and settle in San Francisco <laughs> you know so I didn't have to go anywhere I got to, I had to kind of like learn about all these these cultures and things like just from from being around them um which I you know now know is is not the case with the rest of the country and that's how you know our white nationalists kind of right? grow up because they have, they have no other access to sort of the, the larger world experience yeah that that mix and that combination was normal it sounds yeah, it was like normal to us yeah nobody tried to make that happen nobody tried to give us a worldview it's just it was just there and so there's a sort of normalization to the eclecticism of yeah. the cultures in our life growing up that i think served me well you know as, as, as i got older but that's what makes it so interesting though is when you think about i guess purity i, I think about this a lot in just like music or something when someone and something in music is purely like a country western song or purely a rock and roll song and it gets kind of stale mm. like you don't want to keep listening to it you want to keep moving forward and you keep wanting to introduce other elements and that's what making modern music is about is not really just sticking to like oh well being a, a purist about yeah uh, i love how that something idea. Is there's, there's yeah. this know? is an, great. an excellent point Chuck. there is a melting pot not only in the genetic melting pot, but in the cultural melting pot. If you looked at genre like race, you know, there are the things that make them distinctly categorical because of certain things that hit you. Just like race, you'd say, okay, the color of their skin or susceptibility to, to 
I don't know, whatever diseases or something mm-hmm. like that. But in music, yeah, okay, cool. So if it's a waltz, okay, that, that's that's in one waltz. thing. This if is it's yeah, if, this is the waltz. Uh, this, is like regga- this is reggaeton. Yeah. This and is... waltz should be the only music to ever exist. <laughs> ever exist. I'm a waltz purist. <laughs> but we, yeah. you know, there's there's so many things that, you know, when people get really up in arms about, even you know, cultural appropriation in music, about, well, this person is is trying to do this. And I think what would be so beautiful about culture is that it's such a fluid flowing thing that, you know, when you say, oh, well, uh, so-and-so is stealing from the Beatles. Like, yeah, well, these kids from Northern England were stealing from Delta Blues guys from the South. And those guys in the South who, like, basically the, the sort of turning point of black culture defining music, like American music, they're taking it from a whole other thing, which would have been like hundreds of years of slave chants and songs that have in their bones, then who knows where that came from? And there's sort of a trade-off between all these different people. There's this weird thing where the Brits love soul music Mm -hmm. and the Brits have taken American traditions and just crushed it for a long time. And I was thinking a lot about this as, as typical, and this is in in a conversation of genetics and race and and where voices come from. They've gotten pretty good at like, tea and curry as well yeah 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 exactly (laughs) which is a whole other conversation (laughs) i always wonder if you closed your eyes and we didn't know what we knew about adele you would close your eyes and go Mm. is this an african woman singing is this somebody that has black genealogy and you go no this is a woman that has been reared on the great music which has really been amplified by many iconic particularly black identity voices that is has an undeniable sound. But then you kind of go back to like, that was a sound that these white nationals were afraid of back mm. in the day. And you think of people listening to Elvis, it sounds like black records, right? And mm-hmm. that was a big thing because yeah. like we can't play this. But then all of a sudden because he was white, it could put it in this larger zeitgeist that was somehow more, suddenly more accessible to a larger audience. But then I was listening to a group called the Ink Spots. The Ink Spots were a very popular quartet in the 40s. And they sang a lot of standards. And these were four African-American men. And if you close your eyes, these sound like four kind of old white dudes singing. Hmm. And those records were played because, you know, at the time we didn't have the exposure of knowing what these guys look like. So what I'm saying is that there's this weird sort of transference of people aren't trying to appropriate sound or culture. It's just what sounds good and what touches you and what what moves your soul in whatever X factor way. And that comes from all different kinds of identity and race and, and culture. I guarantee you the Beatles didn't sit down and go, I know it'd be cool. Let's try and sound like dudes from Delta Blues guys. They just thought, and this is cool. That's mm. it. Like they weren't <laughs> like calculating how culture and race could factor into their music. That just whatever touches you, whatever moves you is what you put out. Yeah. There are so many wonderful things that so many different cultures have been able to contribute to the larger zeitgeist of popular culture, particularly in music. And it's wonderful when they all cross over. You know, when you think of, like, what are great moments of that? Like, La Bamba. You suddenly have Latin culture being rock and roll. You have Walk This Way. You suddenly have hip-hop and rock and roll doing the tango. And you have all these things that are now standards, and those just sound like everything now. And there's this sort of mono-genre that's happening of everything. And I think that is kind of what is going to inevitably happen with genetics. It's this sort of transference and confluence of everything and hopefully all the positive things kind of coming into one. You brought us back to genetics. I actually want to bring us back to music because we're touching on this theme of inclusivity. But in your music, both of you have said things about 
inclusivity. Darren, you said you don't like labels, right? Yeah. You know, and I think maybe waltz, you know, is a yeah. trigger word for you, right? <laughs> Chuck, you you said you have to, you're trying to make music that is inclusive and unapologetically fun. And just how does this notion of inclusivity for both of you and in your band together play into your music, the music that you make, not just how you kind of think about music metaphorically? I think the more it's the point was that we didn't want to make something that you have to you have to like certain education to listen to. Mm. Or like, oh, you won't get this because, you know, like there's too many layers. And sometimes there's a little bit of pretension that happens with some music that's put out. And I'm certainly guilty of it myself. Which I think was why with this band we wanted to do something that was just a little more on the nose and fun. Yeah, where the context doesn't have to feed into why you're liking something. You know, if you go into a museum and you see a piece of art and you don't really get it, and then you look at the plaque and it says, "Oh, well, so and so was in a manic right. rage after his lover, you know, cheated on him, and he was in a he was you know in the middle of a crazy mescaline trip and he created this masterpiece. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I can see where, okay. And you kind of connect the dots because of the context, yeah. right? But if that plaque wasn't there and you just looked at it, what effect would it have had on you? Yeah, if it was on a subway platform instead yeah, of would a museum. You, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you're already at the museum, so you're already kind of predisposed to yeah. sort of venerating this piece. Whereas, you know, for us, we really wanted to make it context-free and just do what music does best. You don't have to speak the language. You can feel it. And just hopefully it makes you smile or it makes you feel something on some visceral level that we're not really in control of, but you really kind of hope for the best. We, yeah. So, you know, we just try and make things as fun as, as humanly possible. That's a nice way to work when you're in the studio, when you're like, is this, is this too cheesy? Yes. Great. Good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Onward. <laughs> Onward with that. I read an amazing article just a couple weeks ago about the racist roots of country of square dancing. Did you read this? That it was. I mean, I don't doubt it because I feel oh, like yeah. everything has racist roots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Some, somewhere <laughs> along America. the line. Yeah, there's but some to, kind but of. But it was. Uh, it was Henry Ford thought jazz was the creation of Jews and blacks, and he thought that it was terrible and promoted immorality. So he poured millions into promoting square dancing as this sort of upstanding white alternative. And then the irony is that square dancing, a lot of it was call and response, which was based on African uh, yeah, slave and, and slave culture. Slave, yeah. So uh, he was appropriating black music without even realizing By, it. And trying to crush black music. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. AJ, you have said that part of your goal, humbly stated, with your project to connect to everyone in the big family tree was world peace. Right. Achieved. Right? <laughs> we did it. We did it. Victory well, it's because I, I'm feeling these shared threads, and I think this is really a good pairing, the, the Chris brothers and, and Mr. Jacobs here, because of that feeling that Darren just described that is accessible, regardless of language capabilities, or because of this reduced tension due to family knowledge from your world tree, the world peace goal. Can you just talk about Sure. Like where well, that came from and where I mean, it stands. Even back when I got that email four years ago, I was freaking out about tribalism and this, the divisiveness. And this was like a little bright spot. It was like, oh, my God, we are all connected. That is wild. Finally, science, DNA, the Internet is able to show us exactly how. And I thought, you know, if we can latch on to that, we can, you know, scientists talk about the family bias and that you are more prone to treat family better than strangers, even if it's like 17th cousin, you know, and it's not perfect, as we saw yeah. with with Sister Sledge, as I see with my kids clawing each other's eyes out. But 
overhaul, we do treat family better. So that was sort of the goal. And it was sort of tongue in cheek. You know, we're not going to get world, but it's a, a nudge in the right direction. And I loved what you both were saying about music, because at the Global Family Reunion, the moment that I feel that was most united was when 75% of Sister Sledge was singing We Are Family and everyone was singing along in all like in 40 different countries. It was quite moving. And I do think music uh, that you were able to do it. You were able to link genetic mixing and music mixing and that this is sort of a path to unity. So uh, I, I thought that was lovely. Okay. It's the office birthday. Yeah. And somebody goes, happy birthday. I think 50% of the room will go to, to you. Right. Cause you have a good ear. The other 50% and I'm, my numbers are fudged. Might go to you a little off. <laughs> yeah. Now the 50% that was on key might, might not necessarily be musicians right. or particularly good singers or have no ambitions to do music. But I think there is an ear genome because I meet a lot of people. Yeah. Church or places, you know, where people are singing kind of like, you know, not professionally, but they're on they're, they have a good, like our dad has a good ear. He's like, I'm not a musician. People are like, oh, you guys must have music in your right. bones. And I'm like, my dad's not a musician, but I know that dude has a good ear. Yeah. And I want to know the genetics of the ear. Mm. I think it is a gene. We've talked about these positive possibilities of unity, of connection, of inclusiveness through music, through genetics. And yet we persist in division. And yet we still feel threatened by other. And so I want to know how we contend with the reality of that negative, right? It's a fact, 0.5%, but it's also a fact, civil wars and division and exclusion and discrimination. And so how do you wrestle with or reconcile your belief in the unity of the global family tree and the reality of the world? I think it just really depends on what your personal experience of the world is, which is totally like out of all of our hands. Again, let's talk about the culture, the way how some people can be really moved or offended or lifted by some kind of cultural use in another thing. You know, if you were a deep Latin reggaeton drummer or this is your family's livelihood or something, and then you hear some artist that might not necessarily be part of that tradition using it, you can go two ways. You might feel elated that now you're being represented by you know, another thing or that there's, there's an expansion of this thing. Or the other side, which is where I think it can get really dark, is if people really want to feel like it is theirs and that mm. it's something that is what defines them. So how can I define myself if someone's just going to use it willy-nilly? And I understand that fear. Like, I get that. I don't want to, like, put that person under the bus. It's, like, why we are proud of our mm. heritages and our cultures because, you know, it's something that is part of our lives and you have this fear that this other thing doesn't understand it and, mm -hmm. and will misuse it. Um, and this gets very complicated. So, yeah. I mean, I think at, at a root, that's where that, division happens right. and i don't know what the well, answers or how you reconcile that i don't I've know i've got one suggestion which i think meeting people in person is so powerful and that's what i tried to do with the the reunion but also some stories i covered in the book like this one uh man who's a, a weatherman in texas through dna testing he found his biological mom and he tracked her down and she was uh he's gay and married and she's an evangelical christian and it was really awkward at first when they met. But over the months, she's become much more accepting. And I think that really is like you can uh, you can see someone as the other if you never meet them. It's much easier. Mm. But once you meet them, it becomes clear, oh, we're both just human slash Neanderthals. So I do think that is the key. 
Get out of your silo. Exactly. I think there's a difference between pride and sharing what you experience. And people are kind of, I guess, inherently competitive about their experience being the best one. Mm. And, you know, and it's more about sharing your experience and being open to that sharing. I, uh, I'm hearing some themes in it just to kind of wrap up that point. And I, fear is a big driver of it, right? There's this combination of fear with possession, as you described it, Darren, and also scarcity. Right? Yeah. There's only so much to go around. So if you have some, I can't. <laughs> and it, well, if you have some of what it means to be American, I can't have it. So we're afraid as opposed to sharing and inclusiveness and like, oh, we can just make it bigger. We can make more of it. We can make more music. We can make more humans. We can make maybe less Neanderthal. I don't know if we can bring them back. Um, <laughs> but you're right. The pie can get bigger. The, the pie can get bigger. We can all have you know various slices uh, to return to your earlier metaphor. <laughs> I want to ask you on the, on the way out, what are you working on next? What should our listeners tune into to, to keep track of you? Well, I am continuing. I have another book that's different, but the theme is the same of connectivity and six degrees of Kevin Bacon and everyone is Kevin Bacon. And the book is called Thanks a Thousand and it comes out now and it is about I take my morning cup of coffee and I try to go around the world and thank every single person who made it possible. So the barista, the farmer, but also, uh, uh, you know, the truck driver, yeah. the guy who made the road, the, the guy who painted the yellow the ship lines. driver. All oh, the ship driver. Right. Yes, thank you <laughs> to your grandpa. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He was a big part of it. He really right? was. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> See, we got a thanks right here. On behalf of our grandfather. There you go. You're mm. absolutely welcome. Tell him I love my coffee. It was our pleasure. <laughs> our, our grandfather is actually Kevin Bacon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that works out. It all works out. Yeah. And and what about you, Chris Brothers? What what are you working on? We have some new computer game songs coming out in the fall. Yeah, in the fall, if not earlier next year, somewhere somewhere in the next few months. All right. Um, yes. uh, coming so soon. Coming soon to to ears near you. Inspired by today's episode or topics, millions of people have discovered their DNA stories with Twenty Three and Me. Meet Angelina, who like Darren and Chuck. A.J. Jacobs, Pete Wentz, and many others, has sought to discover how the science stacked up against the stories she's been told, and how it could fill in some missing information on her paternal side. Being Black and our Blackness is rooted in the culture. That history wasn't just in my neighborhood, it was in my house. My mom was very firm in my Blackness and her Blackness. People would tell me I was crazy for calling myself Black, My father was absent from pretty much the beginning of my life. Like, I don't know my father's race and ethnicity. You can't get any more knowing about yourself than processing your DNA. I decided to take the test. I thought I would be like 80% African, (laughs) and I'm not. I learned that my father had South Asian roots, heavy Native American roots, and that felt exciting. I feel so comfortable in my skin. We are so much more alike than we are different. It enhances conversations if we aren't looking at each other through the lens of what stereotype and what box I put you in. I feel very much at peace with my identity and who I am as a woman. I feel complete. Curious about your DNA story? Go to 23andMe.com to learn more. And if you enjoyed today's episode of Spit, 
share it with a friend, and be sure to leave a review. If you want to hear more surprising stories about how we're all related, search and follow Spit on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Spit is an iHeartRadio podcast with 23andMe. I'm Baratunde Thurston. You can find out more about me at baratunde.com or sign up for my text messages. Just hit me up at 202-902-7949. Put hashtag spit podcast in your message so I know where you came from.